Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Hello Windows and Doors. You know, those cold northern winds can be blowing across our Great Plains. And if you're feeling the shiveries inside your house, you know what time it is. It's time to talk to your local Pella, Omaha, and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. Save energy and stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed the patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at... Runza, so on this pod, I'm about to give you my preseason top 10 college basketball teams. But you know Runza is always number one on any list of mine, right? But at least I'll give you I'll give you my, my Runza power rankings. Here are my top five favorite items at Runza. Okay, here we go. Number one, cheese Runza. Duh, come on. It's the best. Number two, the fries. The best fries on, on the planet. Number two, easy pick, French fries. Number three, so shout out to a young Nick Baugh. Cheeseburger with ketchup only. That was my go-to growing up. That's number three. Number four, the Southwest chicken salad with the spicy ranch. Oh, Lord have mercy. And at number five, chili and cinnamon rolls. Just a fantastic combination. But that's that's a big-time top five right there. That's hard to top. I'm getting hungry just talking about this. Get to Runza. Get your grub game right and tell them your friend Nick Baugh sent you. All right. Uh, it is, uh, it's that time of year. Here we are. It is, uh, it's, it's college basketball season. College hoops is, uh, slated to tip off Wednesday, November 25th. And, uh, I I wanted to kick things off with kind of a national preview of the season. And I figured giving you, you guys, my preseason top 10 teams in the country in order would be a good way to kind of set the stage for some teams to track and kind of how I'm seeing the top, uh, echelon of the sport and obviously listen this season is going to be unlike any other because we're in a period of time unlike any other with this pandemic I mean it's just nuts that just about eight months ago days before the NCAA tournament was slated to tip off you know the the rug gets pulled out uh, from underneath everybody March Madness was canceled which because of that and because of this pandemic has created a crazy time for everyone and certainly a crazy off season for college hoops I mean every thing has been disrupted. Just looking at it from a college basketball standpoint. I mean, being on campus, being with your teammates as much as you usually would. I mean, lots of lots of these players didn't even get to be on campus until like mid to late summer. And even then, even then workouts were dramatically different. I mean, lots of teams and players weren't able to play 5 on 5 for about 5 or 6 months. I mean, which is crazy. Think about that. And it's, I remember catching up with Mitch Ballock in the in the middle of the summer, Creighton Sharpshooter, and he was working on some different things. But he kind of told me, "Yeah, it's kind of hard because it's it's you know I'm I'm not going against anybody. I'm not playing five on five. So it's just been a it's it's been a, a crazy crazy off season for college basketball players. 
And so because of that, returning starters, veteran, experienced teams are at a are at a huge advantage. I mean, think about it. if you're like if you're like a, a a team like Nebraska who's got a brand new roster. I mean, that's really hard. Brand new roster, where you got to install things, got to expedite chemistry, you got to establish uh, your identity, all that stuff. Or if you're like Kentucky who returns zero starters, that's really hard. I mean, usually Coach Cal gets like at least some of the summer to work with the guys, and then in the fall it's gets, it gets a normal. It's just all been disrupted. And so what's hard is the reality is pandemic or no pandemic, the way to win in college basketball in 2020 and beyond right now in this day and age is to get old and stay old. Like the teams that win now are almost always older teams that have experience together and return a bunch of proven guys uh, from one year to the next. So I say all that to say that in my in my college basketball top 10 teams preview here I'm about to give you, I, I usually use returning veteran older teams as my compass, but it's even more important this year. So you, you'll definitely see a theme with, uh, with, with my preseason top 10 here. And, you know, the more you got coming back from a great team a year ago, the more I'm probably going to ride with you right now. And, you know, certainly there are going to be a few exceptions to that. But for the most part, that is kind of the rule with my preseason top 10. How good were you last year? How many guys do you got coming back? Because those guys are, those teams are at a major advantage. And real quick, before we get into my rankings, we got to just kind of preface everything with like, obviously COVID is going to play a huge role in this season. I mean, you think about it, college football has been super disrupted disrupted with COVID and cancellations and, and postponements and all that stuff. And when you think about an indoor sport like college basketball is, during winter and, and cold and flu season, when the virus is skyrocketing across, across the country, like everybody buckle up because it's going to be a bumpy ride here. The NCAA initially put out a, a guideline that you have to have played 13 games to be eligible uh, for the NCAA tournament. But they've even said that there could be a waiver process to appeal that. Now, I really want you to let that sink in for a second. I mean, 13 games isn't very many games at all. And, and even with that small amount of games, there is a waiver process for the NCAA tournament eligibility if you don't get 13 games in. What does that tell you? That tells you that this season could be one where a lot of teams only get in 10 to 12, maybe 15 games. And the the hard aspect of navigating all this is kind of the guideline the NCAA put out that a tier one, uh, which is players, coaches, trainers, people around the team daily, if you know someone gets a positive test, they recommend a 14-day shutdown of team activities. Well, with the way college basketball is structured, I mean, in a 14-day period, you could miss four, five, maybe even six games, depending how your schedule falls. So, I mean, you have a few of those, those being you know two-week shutdowns. Before you know it, your schedule has been completely gutted. Completely gutted. And, you know, I've already expressed my frustrations with college basketball's plan and, and other podcasts, so we don't need to rehash all that. But I think, unfortunately, college basketball let common sense elude them. 
and the desire to play non-conference games with travel and play in these MTEs, these multiple team events, has superseded geographical scheduling or playing conference only. But most importantly, I have no idea why college basketball isn't exhausting all options to create bubbles. I just don't, I don't get it. It has been proven that bubbles work. And basketball, because of numbers on each team, is a sport that you can bubble. Like, you can't bubble. A fo- How are you going to bubble football? You can't do it. And the other part is, during half of the season, the players aren't in classes. A, a lot of them are on winter break from mid-November to mid to late January. That's how they set up the academic calendar. So to me, doing bubbles was the logical route to go. And for whatever reason, college basketball didn't choose to do that. And so when you combine that with, again, the rising cases of COVID across the country, you got yourself a potential disaster of a season. But you never know. I am rooting like hell for college basketball to go off without any major hiccups. And maybe with you know the college campuses being empty with winter break and all the students gone will help things out. Maybe. We'll see. But you know any season discussion or preview of college basketball, you need to first mention every team's biggest challenge and biggest obstacle this year, and that is COVID. Period. All right, so let's uh, let's kind of put that aside and dive into some hoops talk. I mean, I got like 15 pages here, so you got you guys just sit back, relax. Let me set the stage for you. Okay. Woo, here are my preseason top 10 teams. Be curious to see what you guys think of this. And I'm not going to go in reverse order. I'm going to go from 1 to 10. Number one, I got Baylor. I, I got Baylor as my preseason number one team in the country. They returned four starters on a team that went 26-4 and four a year ago. And they finished the season ranked third in Ken Palm's overall rankings. And this last year was arguably the greatest season in recent memory for Baylor. Think about think about this now. So Baylor lost their second game of the season last year to Washington. And then didn't lose for more than 100 days. They won 23 straight games. So they lost on November 8th. And didn't lose again until February 22nd when Kansas came to Waco and beat them. That, my friends, is impressive. So this this team is confident. This team knows how to win. And, you know, within those four returning starters, the big thing is Baylor returns their two leading scorers in Jared Butler and Macy Oteague. And Baylor also returns the heart and soul trio of their team with Jared Butler, Macy Oteague, and I got to throw in Mark Vidal. Mark Vidal's a badass. 6'5", 230, tough as hell. And when you combine that with the skill of Butler and Teague, it's a really, really good trio. Those three dudes are tough as nails. They're talented. They're smart. They're connected. And again, they expect to win because they did it last year. And they won 23 straight games. And this is also a. It's been it's been interesting to watch Scott Drew over the years because they've really made some subtle tweaks to their program because now they're more they're a little more balanced with what they do defensively. And last year they're a really good defensive team. They finished fourth in Kempom's defensive efficiency rankings. And over the years, Baylor went from kind of exclusively playing zone to playing more man to man, a little bit more man to man, which I believe has helped them. I just think it's hard to play exclusively zone. It just is. 
and I think the the move to playing more man-to-man has been a big one for Scott Drew. And I think it's one of the big reasons that that Baylor had a good year last year. I mean, they are one of the better half-court defenses in the country. And, you know, Scott Drew has become an undeniably great coach in the sport. There was always kind of a little bit of the, you know, the jury's out on this guy, and, and you know, he, anybody that's still questioning him just isn't watching. I mean, listen, there, you just look at this team, there aren't a lot of holes with this team. There's something 26 and four, return four starters. They return their two leading scorers. They return their glue glue guy, tough, badass, and vital. They're really good in the half court defensively. So, I mean, again, experience, check, tough, check, winning pedigree, check. There's, there's a lot to like. Now, I mean, I don't think this Baylor team is like the most talented team in the country, just in raw talent. Or I don't think this team's like sets up to be historically great in recent memory, like maybe even that Villanova team in 2017. Uh, but, man. Baylor has far more answers than questions. And to me, on paper, is the preseason number one ranked team in the country. In a year where you had a disjointed offseason, like I said, you know, veteran teams with returning starters are in an even better spot. That is Baylor. So I got Baylor at number one. At number two, I got the Villanova Wildcats. Again, you're going to see the theme. In a year where you have a disjointed offseason, you have veteran teams with returning proven production are in a better spot and that also is Villanova Villanova returns four starters off of a team that went 24 and seven last year and tied for the Big East regular season crown now the only big question when you look at Nova is the fact that they did lose their best player in Sadiq Bey and Bey's a big loss I mean he's blossomed into a really good player he was six eight long versatile guard could guard multiple positions, could score at all three levels, could post you up, hit mid-range, hit threes, get to the line, and haven't called a handful of Nova games. He's way bigger and longer in person than you think. I mean, NBA NBA teams are – I mean, he's going to be a steal. I mean, he could be like a, a late first-round guy that's going to really help somebody. So that's a big loss. But Villanova pretty much returns everyone else on their team. Colin Gillespie, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, Cole Swider. And all those guys come back. And Colin Gillespie has just emerged as the steady rock for Villanova. Now, he, he's not as talented as Ryan Archidiakono was or Jalen Brunson was, but he brings similar intangibles. He's the captain of this Nova ship. Uh, when it comes time to make a big play, he seems to make it. I, I think, so you got, you know, oftentimes point guard play, it, you know, is, is one of the biggest catalysts to having a good season. You got a really good player in Colin Gillespie, a really good player. The, the guy that I'm, I'm excited to watch this year is Justin Moore. I think with Sadiq Bey gone, Justin Moore, who came off the bench last year, is going to show that he can really score. I, I, I expect his production to increase a ton. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, one of the most underappreciated good players in the Big East and, around, and across the country. I mean, think about it. this guy averaged 10 points nine rebounds a game as a freshman, and he's only going to get better. I, I think he's he's really, really got a chance to make some noise. Then Jermaine Samuels, another really good long athlete on the wing. He's not the most uh, consistent offensive guy. He's not a great shooter, but he's a really talented athletic guy. You got Cole Swider, who's 6'9", can really, 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 really shoot the three. And then they also add, the only kind of addition that they have here is Caleb Daniels, who's a 6'4 guard. Tulane transfer, 16 points per game, and it, you know, reading up on on Caleb Daniels, and Jay Wright said that Daniels reminds him of Dante DiVincenzo. People remember him. He's now with the Milwaukee Bucks. So, I mean, that's exciting. 
right? So just another score. So again, check a lot of the personnel boxes for in terms of players, and they certainly emphatically check that coaching box with Jay Wright, having won two national titles over the last five years. So you know that Jay Wright's got his distinct way of how he wants his team to look and play and operate, and this team has that. And what I what I really like about this group is, boy, did they, it seemed like every week you could see them taking big jumps last year. Big jumps. They got better and better as the year went. Their upward trajectory was excellent. Like, I, last year, I, I had them on Fox January 4th last year at Marquette. I called that game on Fox. And... You know, I can remember talking to Jay right before the game, and you could tell he was like, listen, man, we're young. We're just we're trying to figure out who we are and, and get some shared experiences together and 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 forge roles and all that stuff. And I I, I called that game and, and Nova actually lost at Marquette. And I remember walking away from that game going, Man, I don't know how this 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 Nova team, I don't know how good they are. You know, like I, I was a little like, eh, I don't know. Now, part of that was they were a victim of their own standard of greatness with some of the Nova teams that won a national title. I mean, you'd put any team against freaking Bridges, Brunson, Spellman, Pascal, even Ch- I mean, everybody's going to look not very good, right? But I just, again, I liked how they improved as the season progressed. And as by the time the season ended last year, they were a really good team. So, I mean, again, I like this team a lot. They're talented, they're experienced, they're well-coached. They know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they're trying to do. I got Villanova at number two. At number three, third-ranked team in the country, preseason top 10 college basketball teams. I got Iowa. I saw Iowa live in person last year in uh, on, 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 it was actually on Super Bowl Sunday in February in, uh, in Iowa City. I saw them live in person beat Illinois. And, man, this team's good offensively. I like this team, man. You look at you look at the Hawkeyes. They return basically all five starters on a team that went twenty and eleven and was kind of in the thick of the conference title race for a good part of the of the season in the Big Ten, which was arguably the best league in the country. And listen, it all starts with the fact that Iowa has the front runner for National Player of the Year in Luca Garza. He's a total stud. 23 points per game last year, nine rebounds, super versatile, can shoot threes, he can hit face-up mid-range jumpers, he can post up, he can draw fouls. And the biggest thing in watching him on film and then seeing him in person, he plays hard. He plays with emotion. Like, that guy's got an edge to him that I think sets the tone for the entire team. And Iowa, collectively, they're just razor-sharp offensively. They finished fifth in offensive efficiency in Ken Palm last season. And again, it all starts with Garza. All the attention he attracts, and Iowa executes off Garza extremely well. Feed him in the post, pick and pops. If the double comes, spacing it out. I mean, they just, they're smart. They know where to get the ball to and then how to play off. And so, and it's not just Garza. I mean, they got they got smart, capable, skilled guys around him. Joe Wieskamp. Really good player. 6'6 wing, 14 points per game, can score in a lot of different ways, more athletic than you think. C.J. Frederick, uh, just a lights-out shooter, led the Big Ten in three-point shooting a year ago at 46%. Also more capable off the dribble than you think. They got a glue guy in Connor McCaffrey, who's super smart, uh, a great passer. He led the country in assisted turnover ratio. So he's just a great facilitator and decision-maker. And then lastly, Iowa's getting... Jordan Bohannon back. He had hip surgery in the middle of the year last year, and he's coming back. 
you got to remember, Bohannon is a proven veteran stud. He started all 35 games two years ago and averaged 11 points per game. He's got some swag and some FU to him. He is tough. He can shoot. And again, you, 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 when you put Wieskamp, Frederick, and Jordan Bohannon on the floor, like you're going to double Garza and just leave, leave Bohannon and, and those guys open for threes? I don't like that. Or are you going to play one-on-one against Garza? He's going to kick your ass. Like, they they put you in predicaments with how, how they're they're built offensively. I mean, so, you know, you got a lineup of Garza, Wieskamp, O'Hannon, Frederick, and Connor McCaffrey. That's a really good five right there. So, again, they check a lot of the boxes except defensively. They're not a very good defensive team. They ranked 97th in Ken Palm defensive efficiency last year. Iowa's just... You know, they're not blessed with great individual defensive players. Uh, they're not an overly, overly athletic team. And so they hide that by playing kind of this funky matchup zone. And the, the funky matchup zone also protects Garza from getting into foul trouble, which is which that at least is good. But they just they aren't great on defense. They just aren't. Uh, they, so they, they go to the gimmicky route. They go to that matchup zone, the matchup zone route. And listen, matchup zones can be tough at times. Right, I mean, Dane Altman runs a lot of it. Seton Hall runs more matchup zone than you think, and it can get you kind of out of sorts with what to run. You never know. Okay, we run in our zone offensive sets, or we run in our man-to-man offensive sets. Sometimes they're they're switching screens. Sometimes they fight over them. Sometimes they run with cutters. Sometimes they don't. Like it, it gets it gets hard offensively to know what to run against it. But it's one of those defense. Like once you kind of figure it out and get into a rhythm against it, then. You can you can kind of slice it up, but but that's why I kind of like this team in the NCAA tournament because if you haven't seen this matchup zone, it can kind of fluster you a little bit. But the, there's no question that their big question mark is defensively. They how good can they get defensively? I don't know, but man, they got five super skilled, smart players, and one of them is the preseason player of the year in Garza. So that's a great place to start. I got Iowa at number three. At number four, I got Gonzaga. You know, the Zags were awesome last year. They were 31-2. and two. They finished number two in Kempom overall. They had the number one offensive efficiency, according to Kempom. And, uh, you know, this was a team that was good enough to win the whole damn thing if there would have been an NCAA tournament. I mean, they were absolutely good enough to win the whole thing. They returned two starters off that team and some other key contributors but there's no doubt that when you know when you lose three starters and, and a good scorer off the bench, like you do have some holes to fill, you know, and that's what kind of that's the only thing that gives me some you know going oh that's a, you know it's pretty big holes. I mean they got they lost Philip Petrusev, Killian Tilly, Ryan Woolridge, and Admon Gilder. Between those guys, that's 50 points per game, 50. So that's a, that's a lot, and honestly, that's why I didn't have them higher. Like I just look at Nova, Baylor, and Iowa, and I'm just like man, they just return more. They return more proven guys right now. But, you know, the 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 Zags do bring back some some dudes, man. And the reality is, Gonzaga is officially a high major program. They may play in the West Coast Conference, but that's a high major program. Like, they don't rebuild, they reload. And they got some really good players coming back. Uh, you know, Joel Ayayi, 10 points per game. He's a baller. He kind of reminds me of Dennis Schroeder, athletic, kind of wiry. Um, I think he's going to really get an expanded role. Corey Kispert's just a great player. Senior, 13 points per game, tough, can shoot it. 
Uh, Drew Timmy, 10 points per game, is going to have to fill that void left inside with Petrusev and Killian Tilly gone. I think Drew Timmy's got a, like, got a chance to be a you know in that All-American conversation because he's going to have opportunities. But the big one and the big name to know with, with, with Gonzaga is Jalen Suggs. He's a McDonald's All-American, the highest recruit in Gonzaga history. And Mark Few said that Suggs reminds him of Jeremy Pargo. And anybody that remembers Pargo, Pargo was a baller. Great score, big-bodied kid. You watch him on film, there's just a lot to like about Suggs. So then when you look at that core of Ayayi, Suggs, and Kispert, and Drew Timmy, it's a pretty damn good starting place for a guy in Mark Few that knows what he's doing. Plus, they got Anton Watson, who's uh, back from shoulder surgery. He actually was a starter before this the, the injury ended his season. So it, that gives you a window in just how talented he am, er, he is. And then they got a uh, – Gonzaga's got a redshirt seven-foot freshman. And all you need to know is his nickname is Baby Shaq. That's all you need to know, right? When you get a nickname Baby Shaq, you're a big boy in the interior. And then the other – key cog that they got uh, going to get implemented is a Southern Illinois transfer, Aaron Cook. Uh, Mark Few really likes him. 15 points per game. Uh, two years ago, he averaged four assists per game, which was second in the Valley. He's smart. Uh, he knows how to play. He can score. He can distribute. So they got good pieces to fill those spots. So listen, I think when it's NCAA tournament time, Gonzaga is going to be right there in the hunt for a one or a two seed. Uh, I like this team a lot. I got them fourth in the country. Let's take a quick break to talk to you guys about my good friends at Arunza. Got another super secret menu item that uh, when I when I revealed this super secret menu item uh, about a month or so ago, let's just say everybody's minds were blown. Everybody's minds were blown. Here's the deal. Did you know at Runza you can get anything on a Runza sandwich? Think about that. Yeah, you, you don't have to rewind it. In this, anything on a Runza sandwich. Like, I, I love a cheese runs it, but if I want to, I could throw pickles in there. I could throw a little mustard in there. I could throw some French fries in there. Anything within reason that's in the kitchen, you can ask for, and they'll add it in the Runza sandwich. How about that? Because every single Runza is made to order. They all start as an original with no toppings. Then they add toppings when you order. And boom, you got a custom Runza. You can't beat that. How about that? I'm sure your mind is blown. That's today's super secret menu item. I had to, had to revive this and tell you about it for my friends at Runza. The build your own Runza. Get into Runza today. Get one that's just for you. And tell them your pal, Nick Baugh, sent you. And while we're here, let's talk about Pella windows and doors. I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. Let's uh, let's pull up uh, let's pull up Pella's website right now. Look at this. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Five different types of windows or doors by Pella have won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. I mean, that's some that's that's incredible. And they achieve that in a couple of ways. You have the insulated glass which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. You have types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. You have triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all that, within all that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for windows and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors 
are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. All right, at number five, I got Creighton. I'm telling you, based on some other preseason rankings I've seen, I think the Blue Jays are getting overlooked, in my opinion. I, I, I look at them. I think they're top five good on paper. I really do. I mean, Creighton returns four starters and five of their top six scores back from a team that went 24-7 and seven and won the Big East regular season title. I mean, th- there, wasn't, there wasn't a hotter team in the country at the end of the season before it got canceled with COVID. There wasn't a hotter team in America. Creighton won 11 of their final 13 games, and they were absolutely electric offensively. They finished third in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency ranking. So, you know, I just, I don't think Creighton's getting enough respect nationally. You know, they listen, they won the Big East regular season title. They were the one seed in, in Madison Square Garden. And they were on track to be a two seed, potentially in the NCAA tournament, again, before it all got canceled. I mean, a two seed. And I, I, my guess is some of the, some of the uh some of people overlooking Creighton is just the fact that it's it's Creighton. They've never punched through to the to the second round of the tournament or to the sweet to the to the second weekend of the tournament. They've never been in the Sweet 16. And you know, a lot of that goes back to Greg McDermott. Like they've Creighton and Greg McDermott haven't been able to make a deep run to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I don't know, man. I look this team is loaded. They return a ton. Now the the one big loss is Tyshen Alexander. No doubt it it hurts. He was the leading scorer on the team. He was the defensive stopper, and man, did he emerge on defense. He got robbed to not be the Big East Defensive Player of the Year. I actually think that's where they'll miss Tyshawn the most on locking up the other team's best guard. So it's a big void. But here's the thing. I hear people say, like, ah, oh, Tyshawn was, you know, they lose their best player. No, Marcus Zegarowski was their best player. Like, make no mistake about it. That was Zegarowski's team. That he was the MVP of that team, the heartbeat of that team. And he's coming back. He's the Big East preseason player of the year, and he's a preseason All-American in some outlets. He's just a big-time player. I I love that kid the moment I watched him play. He's a great scoring point guard who can also pass, efficient, tough, 16 points per game, capable of huge nights. I mean, he dropped 30 on Texas Tech last year in Vegas. I mean, he is a a big-time player. They also bring back Mitch Ballock, uh, who is, uh, I mean, there, there aren't five better three-point shooters in the country than, than Ballock. Shot 43% from three. He's also worked hard to develop some, some game off the bounce, understand that people are going to run him off the line. Plus, the guy is smart. He doesn't turn the ball over. He led the Big East in assist-to-turnover ratio. So Ballock's a big-time player. Then you got Denzel Mahoney. Mahoney was the, six, the Big East sixth man of the year, and I think he's a guy that is poised to make a massive leap this year. Because you got to remember, Mahoney wasn't eligible until semester. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to join a team mid-year, especially when you haven't played for a year and a half. And so it took him some time to find his rhythm, find his confidence, and kind of assimilate into the way Creighton likes to play. I mean, they play a unique style. fast pace. they share the ball, they move it. And once Mahoney kind of found his... His footing, he's a good scorer. 12 points per game. Again, I expect that number to increase. 
They also bring back Damian Jefferson, one of the best glue guys in the country, really consistent, really reliable. He's the most athletic guy in the team, uh, you know, versatile. He's a key cog, and then being able to play small because he can guard a lot of different positions. They also bring back Christian Bishop, who took a massive step forward in his sophomore year. He's that lob rim threat uh, in those pick and rolls, which makes things really – I mean, that's a huge part of Creighton's offense. Uh, and then he also is a pretty good decision maker when Creighton goes five out and he's kind of making – uh, some backdoor passes and different reads from the top of the key. I mean, in my opinion, Damian Jefferson and Christian Bishop's emergence and consistency took Creighton to the next level last year. And I think those guys are going to continue to improve. So, I mean, look, you look at it, Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Denzel Mahoney, Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop, it's an excellent starting five right there. Plus, Creighton gets some size infusion, which is what they need. Jacob Epperson is coming back off of an injury. He broke his leg in the preseason last year in October, and he was slated to start at the five. I mean, he was going to be a starter. He was a former top 100 recruit who's got tons of potential. Now, the big question is his health. I mean, he had a brutal, gruesome compound fracture, and, you know, he's six foot 11. He's long. He's versatile. I got no doubt that as long as his health is there, he's going to make a big impact. But that health is a big question. But they got another seven-footer in Ryan Kalkbrenner, seven-footer, top 100 recruit, uh, talking to some of the coaches, been really impressive in practice, picks things up quick. He dunks everything. He's long, and he's a pretty good low-post scorer, which is something Creighton doesn't really have. So he's important. So Creighton's going to get some, some much-needed size in the interior. Plus, they get a, a Memphis transfer, Antoine Jones, eligible, who sat out last year. 6'6", 220, super versatile player who can penetrate and pass at a high level. And he's a guy like, his body looks the part. He's a big, strong dude. I think when you're talking X factors for Creighton, Antoine Jones. He's the name to remember and the, and the player to watch. If he can assimilate into Creighton's style and, and the way they play, look out because he's got a lot of small ball, deadly skills that could, you know, when you couple it with Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballock and those guys, like, he's going to be really, really tough. So, I mean, I like this team, man. They got to fill that Tyshan Alexander void. And there will always kind of be questions about defense with this, this team and this program. They took strides last year, but they still they still aren't a great defensive team. But they are one of the five best offenses in the country, and they are led by a total stud in Marcus Zagorowski, who's one of the best guards in the country. I got Creighton at number five. Woo, got to take a drink, baby. At number six, Illinois. Illinois, I like this team. And they had a really good season last year, 21-10. and 10. They finished strong, winning five of their final six games. They finished fourth in the Big Ten. And it's interesting, you know, like you got to give credit to Brad Underwood. Who, he made some big changes stylistically to his program. You know, at, at, he was at Stephen F. Austin, and he was at Oklahoma State. And, you know, Brad Underwood's teams were always, they play super fast, they pressure all over the floor defensively. They try to force turnovers and just kind of get the game to be chaos. Which, sometimes when when you do that, you foul too much. You get out of position because you're gambling, so you don't rebound as well. Like, th there were some things that, that are deficient when you play that way. And so, to his credit, Brad Underwood kind of slid his program under the hood and made some changes. He slowed the pace down. 
He didn't gamble as much on defense, and he really focused in on rebounding and winning the free throw battle, and it paid off. I mean, you go look at their Ken Palm numbers and free throw rate and and tempo and rebounding and all that stuff. Like Everything is really flipped to the good, and Illinois flipped to the good. They're a much more sound team, and they got a chance to do some big things this season. They returned four starters, and most importantly, they got their two superstars back. I mean, nobody got better news this summer than Brad Underwood did when he got the news that both Io DeSumo and Kofi Coburn are coming back. I mean, he had to have popped some champagne in champagne. <laughs> I mean, huge. Two total studs. They're arguably as good of a one-two inside-out combination as there is in the country. Io DeSumo is clutch. Uh, he can close out games for Illinois. He's a preseason All-American guard in some outlets. 16 points per game. Really athletic. Really quick. Uh, really good mid-range game. Can finish above the rim. He's not a great three-point shooter, but he just is a great scorer. And then Kofi Coburn is enormous. I mean, seeing him in person, he is... He's... Him and Yudoka Azabuki are the are maybe the two biggest big, big guys I've seen over the last five eight years in college basketball. I mean, I couldn't believe how big Coburn was in person. And he's just kind of scratching the surface on his potential. Now, he's still really raw. 13 points per game, eight rebounds last year. Rim protector, space eater. He, he's got a chance to make a big jump. And then they got Trent Frazier, who's a really great secondary perimeter scoring option off of Dasumu. Capable, big nights, cat quick. He's a senior. He's just a cool, calm customer. And then they got really good role players in Demonte Williams and and uh, Georgie uh, Bishanisvili, who I like Bishanisvili a lot. He's really skilled, can pass, uh, plays well off of Coburn, and so uh, like I told you earlier, I watched them last year live when I, I'd called Iowa Illinois, and again I watched them lose to Iowa, but I remember getting in my in my rental car to drive back to Omaha, and I I walked away really impressed with Illinois. I was like, yeah, that's a good team. It was rocking in Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Garza got it rolling. And Illinois just kept on answering and answering and answering. They're tough, they're physical, and they're talented. I do think they're going to miss Andres Feliz. I think they're going to miss him a little bit. Like, he was a big-bodied guard who took a lot of pressure off of Dosumu, gave them some scoring off the bench. But the big question for Illinois when you look at this team is three-point shooting. They're not a good three-point shooting team. They were really poor from beyond the arc last year, and in today's age of, of basketball, it's hard to win if you can't shoot it. So that's the biggest thing I'm going to be keeping my eye on is how they shoot the ball from beyond the arc because they check almost every other box. But, man, do they got a great inside-out combination at Asumi and Kofi Coburn. Those two guys are really good. So I like Illinois. They're, they'll guard you. They're tough. I like this team. I like Brad Underwood a lot, too. Good, good guy, good coach. I got, uh, I got Illinois at number six. At number seven, I got Kansas, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. You know, the, the, team, the team that I would have picked to win the NCAA tournament last year, if there would have been one, was the Jayhawks. They, they would have been who I would have picked to win the whole thing. Man, they were great. They finished the season 28-3, and three, and they were number one in Ken Palm. I mean, they went 17-1. and one in the Big 12, and once again, won the Big 12 under Bill Self. And it's kind of been established. Like, it's death, taxes, and Bill Self winning the Big 12. It's like kind of guarantees in life. (laughs) 
So, you know, it was unfortunate that the season got canceled because KU had a great shot at winning it all. And unfortunately, they lost a bunch of key dudes. The big losses were Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azubuki. I mean, Devon Dotson ran the team. He was probably the fastest player with the ball in the country last year. Really good on the ball defensively as well. Yudoka Azubuki, I told you, was one of the biggest players I've seen in person. Anchored them down low. His rim protection was incredible. He was great at lobs to the rim, scoring the ball. Those two were the two best players on the team and the heart and soul of the team. So there's a big void there. But having played for the guy, I'm just not betting against Bill Self. They got some returners who are poised for big years. Marcus Garrett, most notably. He's back. He was the National Defensive Player of the Year. And he's going to have to shoulder a bigger load this year offensively. But you know that defense is going to be rock solid. He's going to have to run the show, be the point guard. He's probably the most important player on the team. Be interesting to see what Garrett can do when he's asked to kind of do more. They got Oche Abaji back, rock solid wing, strong, athletic guy. You know what you're getting from him. David McCormick is going to have to fill the void of Azabuki. I've heard he's had a great offseason. I was listening to Coach Self talk on a podcast. Uh, McCormick went 15 of 20 from the floor in a, in a preseason scrimmage, so his offense is coming along. He's got a good-looking body. Mitch Lightfoot, another solid front court player as well at six foot ten, And then uh, Christian Brown is the name that I, I think every Jayhawk fan needs to uh, needs to needs to remember and keep an eye on because he played last year, but I think this guy's poised to make a huge jump. 6'6", can shoot it, fearless, smart. Like I think he's a potential like all Big 12 kind of a player. I think he's really important because he's he's their best three-point shooter. Tristan Anaruna is back. I think he's going to make a bigger jump too. He just kind of got buried with some really good players in front of him. 6'8", versatile guy. I mean, he had Dotson and Moss and Garrett in front of him. It was just hard. Um, but I think Aruna's going to have a, have a good year. And then, you know, in terms of a young guy, Bryce Thompson, they're going to need to rely on him. Five-star freshman to step in and produce. Uh, you know, Coach Self has sung the praises of him, so I think he'll be a big big piece as well. Bottom line, Bill Self is going to piece it together. He's going to piece it together. I think, I think this team will be better as the season progresses, but betting on Bill Self is just, it's a good bet. It's a good bet. And they got the pieces. And Bill Self is as good as it gets at putting all those pieces together. I really like this Kansas team to be in the mix for another Final Four when it's all said and done. At number eight, I got Virginia. Listen, at this point, we know what Virginia is. And we know what we can kind of take to the bank right now. And that's what you feel good about, like, preseason ranking stuff. Like, okay, what can we just pencil in like you know this team has this? Like, with Creighton, I'm like, you know they're good offensively. With, with Iowa, you know they got Garza. With Virginia, you know they're probably going to be the best half-court defense in the country. They were once again number one in Ken Palm defensive efficiency last year. And I looked it up. Here, here are Virginia's last six years. This is where they finished in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency rankings. Number one, number five, number one, number two, number seven, number two. I mean, Tony, ben, Tony Bennett has built a defensive juggernaut at Virginia. That's, that's their identity. And it all starts there. So... Again, when you're projecting and ranking teams, you try to figure out, okay, what do we really know? Well, what we know is Virginia is going to be big time defensively, which is a great place to start. It's a great place to start. Now, when you look at this roster, like they they do, they lose some key players. Mamadou Diakite is gone. A long player who really protected the rim well, emerges a better scorer than I thought he could eventually be. 
He's at, he's gone. Braxton Key is gone. Six eight versatile defensive player, great length. Between those two, that's two starters and over twenty three points per game. But they return their point guard, Kia Clark, who is steady and smart and tough and experienced. He led the ACC in minutes played last year, and he was third in assists. Plus, they bring back other Creek contributors like Casey Morsell. Uh, they you know they they bring back uh, you know Thomas, who's a good player at six five six points per game. He, he can really, really – he's a really skilled player. They bring back Jay Huff, who's a seven-footer inside, eight points per game, six rebounds. Huff is the guy that I think is going to – has got a chance to be a, a, a big, big, big-time player. But the big addition is Sam Hauser. He's a Marquette transfer who fits Virginia's offense and style perfectly. He's smart. He's methodical. He can really shoot it. He can punish switches. I love Hauser. I, I've seen him a ton covering the Big East and 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 Marquette games. He's going to be a really good player for Virginia, and he's going to help out where Virginia lacked, which was three point shooting. They were the third worst three point shoot, shooting team in the ACC, and I think Hauser is going to help that. I think Hauser's got a potential to be like a first or second team All ACC type guy. So between Huff and Hauser and Kia Clark and and different guys like they they have some some skill and some experience that's going to pay well, and you know they're going to defend. So I like this I like this Virginia team quite a bit. I got them at number eight. Oh baby, at number nine, I had to take a drink there, boys. At number nine, I got Wisconsin. Bottom line, Wisconsin brings back brings back all five starters on a team that won the Big Ten last year. I mean, really let that sink in. You would think. Like, okay, wait, all five starters come back from a team that won the Big Ten? How are, how are they not higher? How are they not higher? Well, the, the weird thing with, with, with Wisconsin for me is I think they're a great team that doesn't have a great individual player. Does that make sense? Like, that, that, that's kind of how I see them. That, like, I don't, at the end of the day, like, more often than not, you better have a stud. Not sure Wisconsin does, but they are definitely a team in every sense of the word, kind of where the sum of their parts are greater than the individual parts themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it kind of gives me a little hesitation. I'm already kind of defending where I put them, but that that's kind of where I where I see them. So, but but if you think about it, the Wisconsin had a weird year last year. They, I mean, apparently had an addition by subtraction situation when Kobe King left the team in the middle of the year. Wisconsin was 12-9 and with Kobe King in the starting lineup. Then on January 29th, he announced he was leaving Wisconsin. And after that, the Badgers won nine of their final 10 games. So they found the right chemistry, which is always huge in any, in any situation for basketball, but especially with how Wisconsin plays. They got to really be connected and all be on the same page. So, again, I think they're a good team that doesn't have a great player, but I don't know how you can have. I don't know how you can't have them in the your top ten. I don't know how you can do a preseason top team and not have top ten teams and not have Wisconsin. I just don't know how you can do it. I mean, you look at their their guys. They do got coming back. Demetric Trice, ten points per game, good guard. Brad Davison, ten points per game, and all the charges and flops you can ask for. But he's a tough cat. Aleem Ford is back at small forward. That's eight points per game. And then their front line's legit. Micah Potter, Nate Reavers. Between those two, that's 23 points per game and 10 rebounds per game, which is legit. Wisconsin is a lot like Virginia. 
they do what they do. They slow the game down. They execute to death. They are smart. They are tough. They don't foul. They don't beat themselves. They don't turn it over. They're good in the half court on both ends. And when you do all that, it's not flashy, but it works. So I got Wisconsin at number nine. And that number 10, to wrap it all up, I got Duke. So to me, there is a there is a drop-off of the teams with tons of returners that were proven a year ago after that eight or nine teams that I just listed. I mean, sure, you can there are teams like Tennessee and Texas and UCLA and Alabama and West Virginia who return a ton. They return four starters, five starters. But in my opinion, those teams just weren't great last year. Little inconsistent. They were good, just not great. So to me, it's like you can either bank on a good team with returning guys becoming great or peg a team that is used to reload, reloading and will project to be a really good team. And that is probably a co- like it's probably a cop-out to go this way, but I'm going to go with Duke for, that, for the 10th spot. Again, hard to bet against Coach K, but this is a unique situation. They, they lost some big key dudes like Trey Jones, Vernon Carey, Cassius Stanley. It's about 45 points per game walking out the door. And, you know, they didn't reload with like the surefire one-and-done group like Zion, Trey Barrett, and Cam Reddish, like that group. So it's an interesting situation. But they got some returning guys that are that are solid. Senior Jordan Goldwire is rock solid on defense. Now, he only averaged five points per game, but it's rare for Coach K to have a veteran like that. Wendell Moore is back at, at the wing spot, 6'5", solid player. I think he's going to make a big jump from seven points per game. Matthew Hurt is a guy that I think is probably their most important player. I think he's got to make the biggest jump. 6'9", versatile big, can shoot it. Nine points per game last year. I think he's got to get to like 14, 15 points per game. And, you know, even though they don't have Zion coming in, they did sign three McDonald's All-Americans. Jeremy Roach is a point guard. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Virginia. Prototypical point guard. Sets the table. Uh, better scorer than you think, but but a really just cerebral guy that understands how to run the, run the show. DJ Stewart is a shooting guard, was a Player of the Year in Illinois. Dude can flat out score. And then Mark Williams is a seven-footer from Virginia who's a big-time ring protector, big-time lob threat, is long and bouncy, and gives them a presence at the 10, which they need. So, you know, to me, with Moore and Hurt and Goldwire combined with the crop of talented freshmen, I think Coach K will push a lot of the right buttons and get this team to eventually maximize. uh, So it's hard to bet against Duke. So I got Duke at number 10. So there you go. In in review, my top 10 teams. At number one, I got Baylor. At number two, I got Villanova. At number three, I got Iowa. At number four, Gonzaga. At number five, I got Creighton. Six, I got Illinois. Seven, I got Kansas. At number eight, I got Virginia. At number nine, I got the Wisconsin Badgers. And at number 10 is the Duke Blue Devils. So there you go. A little college basketball preview with the top 10 teams in the country as I see it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button. That way, throughout college basketball season, you don't miss any of the quality content I got for you covering the sport that I love, College Hoops. It's back on November 25th, and I can't wait.
All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Media Production.